It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Angela B. Brown. Each week on the show, I ask our guest to tell us what is their major pain. And when I asked Angela that question, she started out by telling me about her neck pain. She told me about a surgery where a doctor took bone from her hip to replace bone in her neck. Then she told me about being born with three holes in her heart, having open-heart surgery multiple times, getting in a car accident where her neck was broken, but she didn't find this out for six months and walked around for six months with a broken neck. Then she told me about her multiple chronic illnesses, a lung disease called tracheomalacia, a kidney disease called IgA nephropathy, diabetes, and asthma. Then we discussed how her doctors warned her to never catch COVID because of all of her pre-existing conditions. But when she did inevitably get COVID-19, she ended up in a coma for 10 days, and her primary care doctor mistakenly pronounced her dead. If you could have seen me conduct this interview, my eyes were growing wider and wider, and my jaw was falling further and further towards the floor the whole time. I had no idea how much ground we were going to cover in Angela's story. It was like a chronic illness onion that was peeling back layer after layer. I found myself wondering if Angela was unlucky or extremely lucky. Unlucky to have faced so many intense health challenges or so lucky to have survived them and to still be here to tell me about them. And I asked her that question. I asked her what she thinks and I love her answer and I can't wait to share it with you today. This is an unforgettable episode. I'm so grateful that Angela came on the show. She is a delight to talk to, and her story is remarkable. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Last Thursday was the biggest day of listenership that Major Pain has ever seen by a long shot. Usually this podcast gets between one to 2,000 downloads per month. And last Thursday, we got 779 downloads in a single day which is completely unheard of. Obviously, very exciting. I have no idea why or how this happened. I'm assuming that someone somewhere shared the show and it really made an impact. So if that was you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Because of that massive day, this will be the first month ever in the history of the show that we will cross the 2,000 downloads in one month threshold. We've already had 2,200 downloads in July, and there's still a few days left in the month and a whole new episode coming out right now. So uh, it's been a really huge month for the show. Thank you all so much for listening, for participating in the show, for sharing the show. It's really having an impact, and I am thrilled. Last week, we had a fantastic episode with Dana discussing their experiences with myasthenia gravis. Each week, I post a clip of our episodes on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, Dana actually stitched the video that I made on TikTok and shared their experience of having this episode come out. And this was such a cool thing to see. I was so excited by what Dana had to say. I just really wanted to share it with you on the podcast today. So here is the audio of what Dana shared on TikTok. As you can see, I was on Jesse's podcast, uh, Major Pain, and I highly recommend this podcast, whether or not you're chronically ill or disabled. Simply hearing other people share their stories Uh, And if you're fully, you know, able-bodied, you can hopefully better understand where some of us are coming from when we're talking about our illnesses. Or if you are ill or disabled and you can relate to other people's stories, it helps us feel more connected and like the world isn't such as large and isolating as it is. But speaking specifically to the episode that I did about my conditions, um, I really appreciate having the opportunity uh, to 
put kind of like my big picture health story into just like a consumable podcast episode. <laughs> because as a lot of other ill and disabled people know, it's really difficult to talk to your loved ones sometimes, not because they're, you know, being assholes, but because it's so hard to describe to someone who's able-bodied what it's like to be chronically ill or disabled. Honestly, for both parties, I have a hard time initiating uh, talking about some of these things sometimes because I really don't want to be a downer. And I know it's sometimes awkward for the other person to bring it up because they also don't want to be a downer and they don't want to be re-traumatizing me by, you know, wanting to hear about certain things. And also, sometimes people just don't want to hear about it. And that's fine too. I feel like this opportunity that Jesse presented me with recording this episode takes the weight off of both my shoulders and some of the people close to me. They're off of their shoulders because they're able to kind of hear this big picture story that I have a hard time getting communicated to people sometimes. So if you're somebody who knows me and cares about me, or even if you're a complete stranger, if you just want to know my story a little bit more and you want to understand where my health is at and where I'm coming from, I would highly recommend you listen to that episode. Of course, it's no obligation. I'm not gonna hunt you down or anything, <laughs> but it would mean a lot to me and I appreciate it. And subscribe, give Jesse more subscribers, come on. How cool is that? Dana, thank you so much for sharing that on your TikTok channel. If you want to find Dana and watch the original video, their TikTok handle is yella underscore dudette. We also got a great comment on this episode over on Instagram from our friend Chris Coates, who says, this episode was really inspiring. Having to change career paths is daunting. Thank you for sharing this story. I know a person who is facing similar challenges, and I think it will help them too. Thank you, Chris, for your comment. I always appreciate hearing from our listeners about what they think about the show. This podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon. It's an amazing platform where you can sign up to financially support content creators directly. And we have an amazing community of listeners that is growing on Patreon. Each month, all of our paid subscribers gain access to a bonus episode featuring myself and my partner, Andy. And we just released our bonus episode a few days ago for the month of July. And this one is huge, not in length, but in importance. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. There are some announcements on this bonus episode that I am not able to share yet on the main podcast feed, but it will be coming here eventually. But if you want a sneak peek about what's going on behind the scenes in our lives, uh, this is the place to hear about it first. I will put a link to this month's bonus episode in the show notes from this podcast. So if you are already a paid subscriber on Patreon, you can click that link to listen. Or if you're not yet a member and you want to sign up, click that link and it will take you to our Patreon page. There are three tiers of support starting at just $2 per month, and all paid members will gain access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, who are supporting this podcast at the highest tier of $25 per month. And if you're interested in checking out Patreon but are not yet ready to sign up for a paid subscription, there is a brand new free subscription option where you can interact with our weekly episode posts, leave comments, and be a part of our Patreon community for free. There are several other great ways to support this podcast, including participating in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice, following the show on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Major Pain Podcast, or just sharing the show with a friend. 
You can learn about all the great ways to support our show on our website, majorpainpodcast.com slash support. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our powerful episode with Angela about her story of resilience and survival. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to know you a bit today and to talk to you. We've been uh, working on making this interview happen for quite a while, and I'm thrilled to finally be seeing your face today. Me too. So, Angela, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a mother. I have a daughter. She's 29, going to be 30 years old this year. I am a member of Toastmasters International. I've been a member of Toastmasters for three years, and I'm currently working on my distinguished Toastmaster status, um, which involves a lot of speeches and a lot of projects, but I really enjoy it. As of July 1st, I'll be the president of the Toastmasters Club, so that's um, a new area for me. And I'm also the VP of Education, which um, basically makes sure everybody does their speeches and people are learning and people are progressing well with Toastmasters. I'm also the president of a Rotary Club. been doing that for two years. And um, as of July 1st, I'll no longer be the president. Other than that, um, for a long time, I was retired, but then um, I I went back to work, um, not in my corporate job, but now I'm doing teaching children how to read online. So I'm very busy, have many hats. Yeah, you sound busy. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) What is Toastmasters? I'm unfamiliar with that. Oh, well, Toastmasters is a club that you you, you join and um, basically... You have little projects, little speeches. So first you'll do like an icebreaker speech, which is just telling about yourself. And then they give you little projects and you keep on, um, you keep doing more speeches. And a lot of people join it to improve their communication. Some people join it if English is, is their second language. They'll join it so that by doing speeches, they'll learn um, English a lot faster and be able to have the ability to, to practice their English. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, our club, we, we meet every week on Sunday at 6.30. It's like having another another family. Hmm. Um, you know, anybody's there for you if, if you need it. Um, our current president just passed away two months ago, hence why I'm going to be the next president. He was also the founder of our club. I joined it during the pandemic just because the sense of having somebody to talk to, like, you know, you're, you're home and you're bored and there's nothing to do. I'm sure we all can agree, uh, familiar with that. But um, and so I joined it, and um, you know, and I really love love doing it. Love the speeches, love the people, love the whole environment. I'm gonna have to send you an invitation to one of our meetings. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like so much fun, and it's so cool that um, that you're now going to be the president. I mean, sorry to hear about the passing of your previous president, but it sounds like a great, yeah. uh, a great way to pass the time in COVID. And it sounds like it's blossomed into something much more than that for you. So that's yes, sounds actually, really yeah. cool. Yes. Awesome. So Angela, what is your major pain? Okay. So where do I begin? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have right now, my major pain is my neck. I've currently like meaning the last few weeks have this pain in my head right here. 
um, the pain goes into my ear, down into my neck. And if I turn like this, I try to turn like that, it's like excruciating. Turning your head but, to either direction is excruciating. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you want to hear my pain journey, that's a different story. Yeah. But that's just currently what I'm I'm struggling with. Um, but at the moment, along with all the other pains that I have. Um, so in 1999, I had a surgery for a herniated disc in my neck. The doctor said, oh, you know, after six weeks, you'll be fine. You can go back to, you can go back to work. Everything will be great. And I thought, okay. Six weeks later, I wasn't able to go back to work. It wasn't great. He had taken bone from my hip, and my right hip to replace bone in my in my neck wow um yeah he had given me three choices he says we can do calf bone um artificial bone or your own bone but he said it would be better if we take bone from another part of your body and um put it into your neck because then you won't have to worry about rejection mm. which sounded very sensible to me so I said, okay, like I went for my own bone. Um, and um, anyways, my neck didn't heal and my hip wasn't healing the way it was. He said it was supposed to. He said, oh, don't worry. The bone will grow back. No, no problem anytime. And then after um, that, I went back to work. After eight weeks, I couldn't work because I was having so much pain in my, in my neck um, and my hips. And the pain that I was having before I had the surgery, which was like pain in my ne neck, was just barely reduced. Mm. Um, and then I I was having pains in my hands and I could, couldn't write and I had tingling and pain. And I still had that. The only thing that I didn't have when I had this like electric shock going up into my body, like I was shocked by electricity or something. So that went away. Eventually... He said, you know, we might have to do more surgery. Um, then he said that I needed to have surgery on my back because, yeah, I guess I should have started from the beginning. I was born with three holes in my heart. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was basically a patient from day one. And um, I had surgery. And when I was eight years old, I had open heart surgery. And then when I was nine years old, I had another open heart surgery. So, because of my heart, my heart challenges, um, so any kind of surgery was was risky in itself. So we had that neck surgery, and then he wanted. He said, "Oh, you have you know some abnormalities in your spine, and we need to have surgery for that." Well, I said no, because right now I can walk, and he's telling me that I might not be able to walk, or like I might be paralyzed or things like that. So I said. No, I think I'll, I'll I'll wait off on that one. A few years later, I'm still having pain, still having everything. I went to the um, pain clinic at Sunnybrooks. I don't know if you're in Canada, but at Sunnybrooks, one of the biggest, one a very good um, pain pain clinic. And the doctor asked me why did I choose to have um, my own bone? That wasn't a good choice. And I said, because the doctor said I could heal, it would heal no problem and it would solve rejection. And he goes, no, I always advise people never to get your own bone done. Take it out because it takes up to 10, 10 years for your bone to grow back the wow. way it was. And right now I was having scar and 
bursitis and all sorts of other things were happening. So the chances are my bone was not going to grow back normally. So keep going further. In 2012, I, ha- I was, I was T-boned. I had a car accident, I was T-boned. And um, as a result of the car accident, I broke my neck. Wow. Which obviously wasn't good considering the problems I was already having in the first place. I was in excruciating, excruciating pain. And I kept telling the doctors for six months that I was in pain. And they just ignored me. Wow. They said I had whiplash. It was terrible. Like the pain was so bad. I kept complaining to my doctor. And finally, he said, okay, I'm going to send you to see a neurologist. I went to see the neurologist. And um, she said, I'm going to do an MRI. And three days later, she called me. Now, I've had this doctor since 1999. She'd never, ever called me. Um, And she called me and she said, I need you to go to the hospital right now. Hmm. And I said, why? And she said, because um, something that showed up on your MRI, we need you to go to the hospital to rerun it. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well, okay, you know, I have a few things to do today. I'll go later today. She goes, no, I want you to go now. (laughs) And she's like, and I don't want you to take like public transit or anything. I want you to get somebody to drive you. Then she started making me like really, I was starting to get scared. And I'm like, okay, can you tell me what, like what's going on? And she said, well, your neck is not stable. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she says, well, when you get to the hospital, they'll tell you. Mm. So anyways, I, I was able to get my ex-husband and all people to drive me. <laughs> you do what you got to do, right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I called my daughter and it was just happened that she was with her dad at that, at that time. He was taking her to the doctor because mm. she wasn't feeling well. And so I told her what what the doctor said like just let her know that you know you get home i'm not going to be home and then she said well let me ask daddy if he'll drive you and he said sure so they dropped me off at the hospital and i get to the the um emergency department like she told me to go to and i give my name and then they said sit down for a minute okay and then the next thing somebody comes and puts a brace on my neck and i'm like what's going on and then she said, okay, come with me, come with me, come with me. And she puts me in a room by myself, which is very odd. That does not happen in an emergency very often. Like I was being treated like a VIP patient. Mm. Like, okay, here's pillow. Okay, just stay in here and lie down. So she came back and I was doing a crossword puzzle. And she's just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing a crossword puzzle. She goes, no, 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 no. We just want you to lie down and relax. Okay. Then I remembered, oops, I forgot a, b- a bag in the waiting room. So I went back to get it. <laughs> and she saw me coming back. And she's like, why are you walking around? <laughs> but no one's telling you why you need to stay yeah. still. I said, yeah, I said, because I left the bag in the emergency area. So I went to get it. She goes, no, I want you to go in your room. I want you to lie down and I want you to stay still. I don't want you to leave. And I'm like, why? She goes, just stay there. The doctor's going to come talk to you. Well, it took forever to the doctor to come talk to me, of course, the um, neurosurgeon. And um, he said, oh, well, we need you to have surgery tomorrow morning. We've already scheduled it for 7 a.m. And I'm like, surgery for what? Like, I'm not even told (laughs) why I was supposed to come here. I'm being treated. Tell them I can't get up. I can't go to the bathroom. Yeah, I tried to go to the bathroom. She goes, no, just ask us for a bedpan. Like, can you guys tell me, like, what's going on? And like, well, your neck is broken. And I was like, 
uh, why am I not dead? Because I always <laughs> had the assumption that someone's neck is broken, they die. And he's like, well, um, your neck is, it's like it was C1 and C2. And then so he was like, well, this is your your skull. And this is the like the third bit that's on your skull. And it's supposed to be attached like that. Mm. And yours is like this. Wow. It's like just being a, like only like a thread holding it all together. So that's why I'm not dead. Wow. And you'd been walking around that way for six months. For six months. Wow. And he said to me, he said, I've never heard anybody have that illness for three days, let alone six months. And I've been, I was having physiotherapy, you know, I was having massage therapy. They were doing, you know, different manipulations on my neck and all this stuff. And he was just like, if you'd gone to the hairdresser and put your head back like that in the chair, it would have been lights out. Oh my God. It would have been lights out for you. Like it was that serious. Wow. I was just totally in shock. So he says, okay, fine. We're going to do surgery tomorrow morning. Then when he started taking my medical history and finding out that I already had a neck surgery, plus I have heart condition, yeah, you know, all these other things, he's just like, well, let me see what what's going to happen. So he came back. Well, we can't do surgery tomorrow because we need to have a cardiologist in the room. We need to have a some kind of a orthopedic like specialist mm. in the room, and of course myself in the room and an anesthesia. So that's four different specialists basically. Yeah. Because of your prior history, we have to have yeah, more people in the room to monitor. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need all of them in the room at the same time, just in case. So we're going to have to wait till the next day. Anyways, this ended up being pushed off for four days. They wouldn't let me get out of bed, not even go to the bathroom. There was one nurse, they put me, like, my room was right in front of the um, the nurse's st- the nurse's center. And <laughs> it was so funny because I had to go to the bathroom. It was like, I don't know, midnight or something. And, and the nurse said to me, uh, I said, I need to go to the washroom. I need a bedpan. And she's like, are you the one who's who's been walking around for six months with a broken neck? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, go ahead, go to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> get your story straight, people. <laughs> she's just like, well, you know, if you've been walking around for six months, you can walk to the bathroom. Wow. I'm like, whatever. I don't have a problem walking to the bathroom. I've been doing it for six months. So can you imagine that I went to the hospital after the, the accident? And the doctor just said, okay, fine. They did an x-ray. And then he said, oh, you look okay. Leave. And he like took off the, the brace that the paramedic had put on my neck. He took off the brace and threw it in the garbage. The day of the accident, you're saying? Like right yeah. after. They did yeah. do an x-ray, yeah. but they just they needed to do an MRI and they didn't. No, they just ignored me. He just ignored the fact that I said I was in pain. Yeah. And, yep. And that was it. And all the other doctors can say, you just have whiplash. You just have whiplash. Nobody's doing anything else Mm. because the emergency room doctor said, you're fine. Then nobody's believing me. Yeah. And I mean, well, I mean, excruciating pain. You know, my doctor gave me pain, pain medication. That's my first when I started taking narcotics, Mm. but nobody was doing anything. I could have like literally died, lights out, like he said, and. And that would have been the end of that. How does that make you feel? I mean, you were right the whole angry. time. Angry. Angry. Yeah. <laughs> angry, I mean, angry. if it were me, I'd be like, what is it about me that 
makes yeah. you not listen to me when I tell you that I'm in this amount of pain? Like, what is it about me that, that won't allow you to consider the fact that we need to look deeper? And then you end up being right. And all of a sudden yeah. you're getting the gold star treatment. And not an apology from any, everybody. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that feeling, that anger. I had to channel the anger because I was angry at the doctors, but at the moment I had to channel the anger into keeping strong hmm. because when you're told you like your neck is broken, you you're literally going to have surgery on your, on, on your neck. And then they told me all the different side effects, like things that could happen. So, Oh, you could, you could, well, obviously you could die. You could be paralyzed from the neck down. Hmm. Um, you might not be able to talk Wow! because they have to put a tube past my vocal cords and mm. if they happen to miss or anything happens, I could not be able to talk or I might talk differently, things like that. I had to be strong for my daughter because she was, she was, you know, like she was just a basket case. Her daughter, her dad did eventually bring her to the hospital. And when I told her what was going to, was happening. And then of course you make you sign, sign a piece of paper saying, I understand all these side effects. I understand, you know, these have been told to me so that if any of these happen, that I won't sue the hospital. You're in shock. I'm in shock. Here they tell yeah, me my, my yeah. neck is broken. And then, I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. And then a few hours later, you shove a piece of paper in my in my face. Wake me up from my sleep at midnight. Tell me all this stuff. Oh. And then say, sign here. Wow. <laughs> There's not even any time to think about it. Like, okay, you want to think about it till morning? No. Sign here. I signed. You must have had some distrust of doctors to begin with after what you've experienced with that guy who told you to take bone out of your body and that was the wrong thing to do, but he made it sound like the right thing to do. Yeah. And you're, the way he presented it, I, w I would have agreed. And it was the I would same have said, hospital. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Same, thing. same, same hospital. hospital. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. She told me to go to the same hospital because of the fact that they already had my medical history. So she said, sure. I want you to go to this specific hospital. So it was the same hospital and it was a neurosurgeon, right? So I, I said to the neurosurgeon, I said, where's Dr. So-and-so? And then he said, oh, he passed away. And I said, oh, right. is that why he's not the one doing the surgery? And he's like, well, yeah. It if, if, <laughs> <laughs> if, it had, if he had been here, it would have been him because he was like the chief neurosurgeon. So now this wow. other guy had taken over as the chief neurosurgeon. So I had no choice but to put my trust in him. But then I didn't, mm. I don't know if I would have wanted it done by the other doctor anyways, because I already lost trust in him. Like I sure. have, now I have like, whatever I walk, um, too much, my hip swells up like a big watermelon or wow. even sometimes just like the weather changes. I'm in so much pain. I can't even, I can literally can't even get out of bed because I just have like the pain is so intense. And now the pain, because of my hip, I have arthritis in my knee. And arthritis in my ankle, like all on the same leg. So there are days when I can't wow. even move my leg. I have to use a cane. Yeah, that's so frustrating, all based off of one doctor's bad advice. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't know how to process that. Yeah. And then here I am. Okay, well, you got to do the surgery. So I asked, what happens if I don't do the surgery? And they said, you'll probably die. I said, yeah. oh, okay. And what happens if I do the surgery? Well, same thing. You could probably die. 
you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So it's up to you. So I just signed and said, okay, I'm just going to put my faith in God. Not in the doctors, but just in God. Wow. And that's what I did. And then I had the surgery. And now I, I can't move my neck. Like if I move my neck, it was it's just like that, like just like that. Mm. That's it. You, you got like a half an inch of movement, yeah. max. Yeah. from what I'm seeing, yeah, on the left side, and nothing at all on the right side. How long ago was this surgery? 2012. 2012. So 11 years ago. So what what is the actual surgery? Are they fusing your um, upper vertebrae to the base of your skull? Yeah, base. Yeah, yeah, because it's um. Because I had already had fusing from um, C4 to C6, right? Yeah. Or already fused from the previous surgery. Yeah. Now they're fusing C1 and C2. And those are the vertebrae that are responsible for you, for you being able to turn your neck, right? Mm. So basically, yeah, I can't turn right at all. And I can't look up and down. Yeah. So if you want to turn, you got to move your whole, whole body. body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't ideal, but it was better than being totally paralyzed. So I, I, I went with it. I wore a body cast like from here, from the very top of your like, neck, all the way down <laughs> to my belly button for six months. Wow, not an easy thing. And then I had to use a walker for a while because I wasn't able to walk on my own. And then eventually graduated to a cane. Since I was born with chronic illnesses, it's sort of like this is my whole life, you know, mm. and every time I turn around and I think that I'm done, I'm good. Okay. I'm not going to have any more surgeries. I'm good. Something else happens like COVID yeah. COVID happened. My doctors told me do not get COVID. Because yeah. Not only did I have a heart condition and I also had the neck problems, but when COVID first happened, they said, if you have a heart condition, you're a high risk. If you have a lung disease, you're high varietal. So I'm like, okay, heart condition, check. Lung disease, check. Diabetes, check. Kidney oh, disease, wow. check. I have all those. Oh, wow. Okay. What is your lung disease? I have something called trachea, trachea malaysia. And what it is, is your bronchial, the tubes, um, when they open and close, they don't close properly. Hmm. That's just the my layman's way of, of explaining it. Is that something you were born with? Yes. And what about the kidney disease? Yeah, apparently I was born with it, but I didn't find out about it till like 20 years ago. What, what is the kidney disease? Um, it's called IgA neuropathy, and it's apparently a very a rare kidney disease. So I have a rare kidney disease, a rare lung disease. Then I had this rare heart disease and, and, and the list goes on and on. And then I got diabetes wow. um, and I also have asthma. So he's like, you, you, you getting COVID is like a, a time bomb. Um, he, they, they told me that I would probably die if I got COVID. Like, mm-hmm. And so I went with it because that's what they told me. And I was so scared not to get COVID. So I literally locked myself in my condo for two years, only left on extreme emergencies. Um, So I got a call from my cardiologist and they said, oh, you know, it's been two years since you've come in. We really need you to come in to get this test done. And I said, okay. 
And I went in and I got the test done. And then, okay, I went back to my, you know, solitude in my compartment. And guess what happened? Finds out I have COVID. From the hospital visit. I'm going to get a test done. Oh, no. Oh. It, it, it was like my, my worst nightmare. I literally thought, yeah. okay, I'm like, okay, I'm going to die now. Like, my whole family was like, okay. Like, you know, we're like, this is it. She's beaten everything else. I don't know how she's going to beat this. And for the first couple of days, everything seemed okay. You know, I, I had a really bad cough, the worst cough I could ever have in my entire life. I felt like my whole lungs was coming out. I had to hold, I held my chest like this when I was coughing. Not that it helped. It's just a feeling, you know, you're in pain. So you just grab onto mm-hmm. your chest. And it was, it was, it was really bad. I had everything they said except the fever. So then one night, my daughter came into my room um, around 1 a.m. because she said the dog was making noises towards my room. I, I know, so I like uh, alerting her. And she's like, what's wrong with her? Why is she making noise? And so she went to my room to see what happened. And I was there walking around and I was um, delirious. I was saying things that didn't make sense. Like, like I was going to go get it. She's like, where are you going? I'm going to go get a tattoo. <laughs> Um, <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> told her that my friend Maria was coming with me and she was going to bring her baby the baby was like two months old and I told her that the baby was going to get a tattoo too and I was, she's like okay <laughs> something's not right <laughs> like she's she's not making any sense so she told her boyfriend they called 911 paramedics came okay and they took me to a local hospital they said my oxygen level was was low i believe so and then the next day i was starting to come out of it like you know back to normal self i was talking to her normally um and so the doctor said oh it's been one or two days she should be fine she'll she'll go home after i talked to my daughter and i don't remember only remember a little bit of this but i started having problems breathing Mm. So, and I was, my breathing was getting a little bit labored. So I called, pushed the button for the nurse to come and the nurse didn't come. And I pushed the button for the nurse to come and I kept doing that and that wasn't working. And I could hear a nurse talking in the, in the, in the next room. So I was trying to call, I was calling for help, help, help. And no one came. So I picked up my cell phone and I called my daughter and I said, help, help me, help me, help me. And then I, the phone died. Oh. That was it. I was gone and she was like, she was literally actually driving to the hospital and she called the the, the hospital to ask them, when was the last time someone checked on my mom? And they said, oh, your mom's fine. And she's like, no, she's not because she just called me screaming, help me, help me, help me. And so by the time they came in, I guess I couldn't breathe. They incubated me. I was on a ventilator. Mm. And then I guess I was more sick than they could handle because they had all other patients. So they transferred me two hours away to another hospital. And I woke up a week later. I had been in a coma for a week. Oh my God. Did did they, how did they transfer you? Was this like a helicopter? I mean, it sounds like you were were unconscious. Yeah. yeah, They transferred me by helicopter. Okay. And you were in a coma for a week because of COVID. For 10 days. For 10 days. 10 days. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> That's horrifying. They told her that, yeah. 
they told her they had people that had been in the coma for over a month. Yeah. So they couldn't really say if and when I was going to wake up. Because you know that it's only 30% of people who go into a ventilator actually get off the ventilator. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that statistic. So, okay. So, yeah, getting COVID was worst case scenario for you because of yeah. all of these pre-existing conditions. And then you get COVID and you end up in a coma on a ventilator. I can't yeah. believe that I'm talking to you right now. You pulled through. Yeah, I did. Even my doctors were shocked. When I called my regular doctor when I got home to say, okay, I'm at home and I needed, you know, extra care, whatever. And I called his office and the, uh, to make an appointment. And the nurse is just like, oh, his secretary, hope, hold on for a second. And then she came back and she goes, I can't find your name on, on the, like on the list, like uh, anywhere. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've been his patient for like over 30 years. And then she came, she said, okay, hold on for a second. And she came back and she goes, oh, I found you. You're on the deceased list. What? (laughs) Yes. He had already written me off. (laughs) What? Oh. I, that's a new one for me. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. You, your doctor decided that you were already dead and dead. and wrote you off. He already wrote me off. I'm and, speechless. Um, when, yeah, me too. I was like, huh? Like I, 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 I was speechless and I was hurt. I don't know. Like yeah. I had this hurt. Like you, I've been your patient for 30 years. Like you didn't try to figure out if I was actually dead or alive, you just actually decided I was dead. Okay, she got COVID. She's dead. Oh my god! So when he came on, he was shocked too. And when she told him that Angela Ron was on the phone, wanted to talk to you. <laughs> so he came on. He was just like, um, "So hi, how are you?" And I said, well, <laughs> "Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm alive, by the way." Yeah doctor (laughs) he was in shock yeah and i said oh by the way your nurse told me she found me on my on your deceased list oh (laughs) and and he tried to explain he says well you know you were in that first hospital and you were there for a couple days and then i tried to follow up and i hadn't heard anything from you and so we obviously thought that you had passed away (laughs) Wow. You could have called my daughter and said, how's your mom? Wow. There's just so many things you could have done. Besides, you could have called the hospital if I know, like, where's my patient? No. Yeah. He just assumed that I had died. Wow. I I can't tell if you have the absolute worst luck or the most incredible luck I've ever heard. It's like one of the two. I don't know which one it is. Like, the fact that you're alive is incredible after i mean and i'm sure you've been through more than we've discussed but like the fact that 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 you've lived through this like that is something to be so grateful for but the fact Mm -hmm. that you've been put through all of this is something to be like so upset by (laughs) i don't know which one it is you know yeah how do you feel do you do you have do you land on the side or you do you feel really lucky or do you feel cursed I guess I feel like God loved, really loves me. Mm. I'm blessed. Yeah. Um, you know, when I only had the heart condition, like when none of these other conditions were, were um, 
figure it out. The doctors at the cardiac clinic called me a medical miracle. Yeah. Because at that time in 1964, born with the heart conditions I had, they didn't know how to fix me. Right? I was born in the UK, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Mm. But I was born in the UK and they didn't know how to fix me. My mom took me to Jamaica. Well, it's a third world country, so they definitely don't know how to fix me. Mm. And so coming to Canada at eight years old, within six months, I had surgery. And they told my mom that if I had came to Canada, like maybe six months later, they would not have been able to help me. Wow. So like I would, have, I would have died. So I guess I could. And they would call me a medical miracle. Now, 50 years later, I'm definitely a medical miracle, I guess. <laughs> I guess they would be the doctor, the doctor who did my surgery. His name was Dr. Mustard. And he was like just about to retire. And he was the one who came up with the procedure that he did on my heart. When you were eight years old? When I was eight years old. Yeah. He, he developed the procedure. Yeah, he actually developed the procedure. Wow. Before that, nobody knew what to do. They just knew that I had these holes. And he was the one who came up with how to operate on children. So he was one of the first doctors to do that. What what happens when you have a hole in your heart? You had three holes in your heart. I had three holes yeah. in my heart. Yeah, at least they thought I had two. And I guess it's like the blood is not circulating okay. uh, the way it should to the other parts of your body. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. And so at 18 years old, when I went to the hospital for sick children for my final checkup, they did some tests and then they said, oh, you have another hole. We mm. found another hole. But they said it was just like a pinhole. And so everything was fine. So they weren't going to do anything about it unless it became a problem. 50 years later, you know, it's still good. Wow. <laughs> so for the, when you were eight, that surgery, is it just like they, they're patching the holes? Like open yeah, heart surgery to patch these holes to stop yeah, you from, yeah. to, to keep that blood circulating? Wow. That's wild. Yeah. The fact that that's even possible is incredible. Yeah. I think the first surgery they put in is a stent and then, mm -hmm. um, and then the second surgery, they actually patch the holes. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've had car accident, walked around with a broken neck for six months, been pronounced dead from COVID, <laughs> had three holes yeah. in your heart. <laughs> this is wild. Um, my, 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 my daughter says, what's next? Yeah. Like, oh God, I hope nothing else. Like, I mean, even having a child was a miracle because my the cardiologist, they all, all told me that I shouldn't have any children because um, they didn't think my heart would be able to, to handle it. Mm. Um, but anyways, I was stubborn. So I got pregnant anyway and shocked the, the medical community as well as my, 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 my family. They were like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I love kids. I always wanted to have a kid. And I thought if I can't have a kid, I, I'd adopt a kid. But then I actually, I got pregnant. So I thought, well, here we are. We might as well just continue on the road. Yeah. And I looked at on the cardiologist who said, you know, I can monitor you throughout through the whole process. And I think, you know, we could just do a C-section just to be on the safe side. It was tough pregnancy because I had to take aspirin for the whole time as a blood thinner. And I threw up the whole nine months, mm. morning, noon and night. Like every meal I ate, I threw up. 
by the end of the nine months, I had only gained 11 pounds throughout my whole pregnancy. Wow. And my eyes were bloodshot red because I had thrown up. I had broken blood vessels in both eye from vomiting so much. So you could, you know, I was ready to get rid of, so I ready to have this child. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I had a a beautiful baby girl and she was a hundred percent healthy. Wow. And I said, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) The first and the last. And she's almost 30. You said she's almost 30. And then they said there were, you know, there were chances she could have a heart condition too, Mm. or any of the other illnesses that I have. But luckily, as of now, the only thing she has is asthma. <laughs> wow, that's incredible also. And allergic to nuts, and that's it. Yeah. And she's pretty healthy. Now she's like my biggest supporter. Everything I do, I know I wrote books. She's a supportive. I'm, you know, I'm on this podcast. I'm on this talking. She's there every, every, every step of the way. When I had COVID, when I got out of the hospital, she made me move in with her and her boyfriend so that they could take care of me. And I've been here ever since. I haven't <laughs> left two years later. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear you, you have that support system. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's nothing more important than the the people, the loved ones, family members, friends that help us get through these chronic illnesses. That's so important. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, it's been about two years since you had COVID. Mm-hmm. Once you wake up from that coma and start to recover, what was that process like? Well, when I woke up from the coma, I was alone. You're not allowed to have um, visitors, obviously, with COVID, if you mm, have COVID. So, of course. I was in the hospital for three and a half weeks. I didn't have any any visitors, but I did. They made me um, do iPad visits, so um, iPad uh, visits with my family. Um, when I first woke up, I was like, where am I? Like, I was, like, totally lost. The nurse was there. She tried to explain, you know, you have COVID and you're in a coma. You were in a coma for 10 days. And she goes, do you remember that you had COVID? I'm like, nope. Mm. Yeah, the process was, like, they asked me a lot of questions. They wanted to make sure that my brain was functioning properly. And they asked me all kind of questions every day, the same questions, I pretty much was able to answer everything except who's the president. I couldn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not much into politics, so I guess that's probably why. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I remembered what year it was when I was born. I remembered everything. And after a couple of days, they transferred me to a regular room because they have to have more patients going in the ICU. I tried to walk several times. I couldn't walk. Every time I tried to walk, I'd fall down. Like my legs were not functioning at all. I couldn't talk. So I was like, hi. Like it was just a total whisper. Because after I woke up, it was like another five days before they took out the ventilator. Then I had I had no voice. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't write. Like basically. And it was just pretty scary. My answers were like, yes, no. Blink once for yes. Blink twice for no. <laughs> like that was it for like a week. Wow. And then I came home. I was using a walker by then and my voice was just back, but not very much. And my voice, if you can, I don't know if you notice, it's very, it's raspy. Mm. Um, that's the voice I have left after COVID. My voice did not come back the way it was before COVID. Wow. 
some days I don't, I can't talk at all. Like some days I don't have any voice. I'll wake up and it'd be like, hi, good morning. <laughs> and they said that when I was put on a ventilator that they scarred my throat. Mm. And so they didn't know if I was going to get my regular voice back. I walk with a cane most of the time. I do try to walk without the cane, but um, my legs are not strong enough. So I fall a lot when I try to walk without a cane. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole adjustment. It's been two years since I've had COVID. Now I'm dealing with long COVID. Wow. A long COVID on top of everything else. Yeah. Wow. I, I have uh, brain fog. Hmm. So I can't, I, I can't remember stuff that I used to know. Like sometimes I can't remember how to spell a simple word like hello, like just like something very simple that mm. you learn to spell as a kid. And I'm asking my daughter and she's like, really? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know how to spell it. Yes, I teach kids how to read, but, um, you know, sound out words. But sometimes it, like my spelling is very bad compared to what it was before, before I had COVID. My, my brain um, functions bad. You could tell me something right now and five minutes from now, I, I, I won't remember what it was. Like tomorrow, somebody asked me, what podcast were you on? And I'm like, um, I don't remember the name, <laughs> but I know I was on one. Yeah, it, 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 like things like that. I have problems concentrating, staying focused on one thing. My daughter gets mad because she, she tries to have a conversation with me. I'm doing two, three, four, five things. And I remember I was watching one of your podcasts and you talked about twitching. Mm -hmm. And I have, yeah, I have that yeah. twitching now. You know, you're really making me think about the mileage on the body for people with chronic illnesses. It's something I think about for myself a lot. You know, everything that I've been through with my illness and everything my body's been through, especially in the years where we didn't have any clue what was going on. and you know, right. not on any medication. I was using cannabis products just to get through the day. And I've also had testicular cancer and all of these things that my body has mm -hmm. been through. Wow. And I just think about the weight of that. Sometimes it feels a little overwhelming, like I'm carrying it, not just physically, but emotionally. And yeah. it, it makes me like nervous about what's coming next. And it's hard to kind of live in the moment and, and, mm -hmm put those thoughts down and just live? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. Does that happen? I mean, you've had so much happen. Like, I mean, yeah. People make jokes about it. Like my nephew, he says to me, he goes, Auntie, I'm like, yeah. He goes, how do you do it? And I go, do what? And he goes, get all these things and almost dying and still keep coming back. I'm like, you know, that should be a commercial. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said, I don't know. I don't know. I just God. And you are right. The body does go through so much mileage. And there's so many times that I feel so depressed when I think about what I've gone through. I mean, when I first started telling you about it, I was I was kind of getting choked up yeah. and teared up about it. Um, I try not to do that in front of my family because they all just look at me as a superhero. No matter what happens to her, she comes back, but they don't know that sometimes, sometimes it just, it just gets too much. Mm. You know, it's like I was telling you in the beginning about the pain in my head yeah. goes into my ear and down in my neck and it's excruciating. Like, you know, yeah. and I can't sleep. I sleep a couple hours. I, then I'm up Then I try to go back to sleep. The pain is excruciating. I have to wait a month to see my doctor. Yeah. Like I, I, 
like, so I have to go through this with this excruciating pain and in my ear, everything else for a month before I can see my doctor. And then, you know, yeah, I could go to the hospital, but I just, I just get tired of going to the hospital. And honestly, I feel like now going to the ER is a waste of my time because I never get accomplished anywhere. I had in um, July, I was like maybe four years ago, my legs rolled up. It happened on my birthday. And I went for a walk and I couldn't walk because my leg was so heavy. It felt like a cement block. I managed to get home, went to the hospital uh, because I had a preliminary embolism before. Mm. Like, yeah, I almost died from a preliminary embolism. Forgot to tell you that. But yeah. I passed out, went to the hospital. They said, you're one of the luckiest people I know because most people don't even get the chance to go to the hospital with a preliminary embolism. So I thought, you know, I better go to the hospital because I don't want to have that situation again. They did uh, x-ray and ultrasound. They said, your leg is fine. Okay, still painful. Go home. Two weeks later, go back to the hospital. They said the same thing and so on and so on. And four years later, guess what? My leg still gets swollen and nobody still can't tell me why it's swollen. Mm. So frustrating. And you keep going to the hospital and you keep getting ultrasounds and they keep saying, you're fine, no clots, go home. <laughs> you know, one doctor said, oh, you're fine, just go home, put some ice on it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I didn't say I fell down. I didn't fall down. I was woke up one morning and my leg was swollen. And now I heard that I have a low pressure in my lungs and apparently that could cause my leg to swell. And oh, then interesting. They've told me so many different reasons why it could swell up, but not why my leg is swollen up. So I know all the different reasons why someone's leg could swell up, but <laughs> nobody could tell me if that's what reason why my particular leg is swollen. So you can imagine that four years later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like, what's the point of going to the doctor? Yeah. And so I just, I get so frustrated and I get overwhelmed. I want to cry. <laughs> what gets you through? What are your coping mechanisms? I think about my daughter. When I got divorced from my ex-husband, she was eight years old. And I was just like, sad because you're getting a divorce. And then obviously you have chronic illness on top of that. And I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't go to work. But yet I, I dragged myself out of bed every morning, made sure she got her breakfast, made sure she went to school, came back home, slept all day, <laughs> set my alarm at three o'clock, got up, went to school, got her, make sure she had dinner and everything. She's been my biggest reason for living since the day she was born. And when I was younger, when she was younger, I would pray to God and I would say, please, just let me live until she's 18. That was my goal because... I felt like I was going to die soon, but I just kept saying, God, let me live till she's 18. Yeah. Because, you know, at 18, she's she's old enough. She, I, I can teach her about the world and she'll be an adult, so to speak. And her dad, because her dad would never have been able to take care alone. I don't know what would have become of her. Mm. So I just had to make sure that she, 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 she was fine at 18. I did my will. I left custody to my sister and her godmother. Like I did everything. I was all set to go if it, if it happened and then she's 18 and here she was she was her 18th birthday and I was able to celebrate with her and I was so happy and now it's like let me get to see her get married let me get to see her my first grandchild you know she got a dog I asked her for a grandchild she got a dog 
<laughs> and she said, oh, mom, this is your grandchild. And I said, no, that's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, you kept saying you wanted a grandchild, so this is it. <laughs> so I have a grand dog. Her name is Jazz, and she's cute and everything. And I said to her, okay, but can you give me a human grandchild sometimes? <laughs> 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 you know? And people don't know, and they don't know, but that's the kind of things I think in my head. Yeah. Right? Living day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, because you wake up this morning and you're feeling fine. And by two o'clock, I can't walk. I, sure. I can't move. Like everywhere hurts, you know, like this pain in my head. And I don't know if this problem is from my neck. If problem is from my ears, it's problem. But the problem is, right. I just had another MRI mm -hmm. on my neck and to see if what the problem is. Like, I don't know what they're going to say. Yeah. I don't know what the MRI is going to say. So I just have to take every day, one day at a time. That's that's how I live. That's how I cope. One day at a time. Mm -hmm. I, I do pl make plans, but I don't plan too far in the future. Because I don't know. I might be in a hospital. I might have to have another surgery. I might. So many ifs. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure you understand that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's been very difficult to figure out how much planning do I do? Now that I'm doing a little bit better, I've got great care mm -hmm. right now, potential diagnosis mm -hmm. and medication. And I'm trying to figure out like, now what do I do? Do I start planning mm -hmm. again? Is it too early? Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to try to figure out. What, what has all of this uh, medical trauma that you've been through taught you about yourself? It taught me that I'm resilient. Yeah. Like I'm more resilient than I thought. When I was younger, when I was a kid, I wasn't, I didn't see myself as resilient. I was, I saw myself as like somebody that got a lot of illnesses and got beaten up a lot. Cause I, at school, I got beat up. I got bullied. I got beat up. I was small and frail. Like right now I'm only 4'10 because I like at eight years old, I was like three feet something. Hmm. I was like toddler, <laughs> looked like a toddler in, in, in grade three or grade four. Right. So you're the perfect kids for everybody to beat up on. After everything else I've gone through since then, I realized, you know what? I'm not a doormat. I'm not somebody that somebody could, could just step and walk over. I'm I'm resilient. I say I can get through anything because I don't have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't think I could get through COVID. Like I thought if I get COVID, I die. That was it. But I proved to everybody and myself and my doctor that I actually could survive COVID. So wow, yeah. yeah, no one survives what you've survived unless they are resilient. No one's going to argue with you on that one. That <laughs> that has to be true. Well, I have one more question for you. So if you sure. could go back to your childhood and uh -huh. give yourself a message based off of everything that you've lived through, multiple uh -huh. surgeries, several different illnesses that you've been born with injuries that you've suffered along the way, the surgeries, the way that you've been treated by doctors. You've been through so, so much, not to mention COVID and a coma and being pronounced dead. I mean, you know, so much stuff. And you've learned how to navigate that. You've learned this resilience. It's built over time and you're, right. you've become such a strong person to even survive all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but if you could send a message back through time to yourself in your childhood to help prepare yourself for everything that's to come, what would it be? Mm -hmm. It would be never give up. 
Mm. When you're a child, no matter what you're going through, don't give up. As an adult, if you're just finding out that you have a chronic illness or more than one chronic illness, don't give up. Chronic illness is not a death sentence. It's a hard road to travel. And honestly, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But if you happen to have a chronic illness or a illness, don't give up. Don't let doctors tell you what you can't and can't do. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're, they're there to give you a diagnosis and things like that. But that, don't let them say, well, you know, you can't do this and you, you can't do this. You can't have a child. You can't, you can't survive COVID. You can't do this. You can, you can do it. If you have the motivation, you could do it. You can get through it. I started a business a few years ago to coaching people with chronic illness to, to, to know that you can have a good quality of life and that you, you can survive these different things. Um, I'm not saying there's a, a cure to any of, because a lot of chronic illness don't have a cure, but you can survive them and you can get through them. It'll be hard. It'll be tough. You'll, you'll cry. You'll feel like you want to die. Like there'll be the good moments and the bad moments. You'll have surgeries after surgeries after surgeries, and those will take a toll on your body as well, but you can do it. That's what I would tell myself. You can do it. I love it. That's such a powerful message coming on the heels of that amazing discussion we just had. What an incredible story. I am flabbergasted by what you've survived. <laughs> wow. And, you know, you're actually the second person to come on the show and have a broken neck that doctors ignored for a long yeah, period of time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I spoke with Bella a while back who doctors broke her neck during childbirth and Ooh. didn't listen to her and it wasn't discovered for quite a long time afterwards. So I wow. wish I could say that that was the first time I'd heard anything like that, but it's the second time, which wow. is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, but, it is terrifying. But it, it makes your story, I mean, no less shocking and riveting. And I'm just thrilled that you mm -hmm. came on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared with us. Uh, speaking of sharing, tell us where we can go to connect with you online. You mentioned that you're a writer. If people want to check out your books or if they want to connect yes. with you on social oh, media, tell us where to I go. Have, yeah, there's three different books. Um, I think I'll give you the name of the books. Maybe you can put it in the caption. Yeah. Um, on the podcast and um you can reach me on on um instagram uh, at the angela b brown that's my personal instagram um instagram page and also on facebook the angela b brown and um i have a tiktok it's a dream life by angela b brown which is um, a business that i have which is called Dream Life. You can check it out at Dream Life by Angela B. Brown com, and also on Instagram too. Dream Life by Angela B. Brown. So basically, all Facebook and Instagram, the names are the same, and TikTok is the same. Awesome. Yeah, I'll tag you on TikTok and Instagram when this episode goes live. I'll put links <laughs> right. in the show notes so people can connect okay, with awesome. you. Um, yeah. Yeah, Angela. What an incredible discussion. I think this is our fourth try of, uh, yes. of meeting. And this is yeah. why, you know, I'm always down to reschedule recordings with people because, I mean, I'm so thrilled that we did. What an incredible story. Mm -hmm. We all have chronic illness involved in this podcast or disability of some kind, chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we can't record on the days that we set, but it's always so worthwhile. I am just thrilled to share your story. 
I, you give me a lot to think about. I mean, this conversation will stay with me for a long time. So Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Like, you know, sometimes people don't understand that. It's not that I want to cancel. It's just like, I physically can't do it. I get it. So you've been very accommodating each time I canceled and canceled. (laughs) So I thank you. I thank you so much for that. Oh, it's and, my um, pleasure. Really, I get really it. Glad I, that we had time to do it today. I, I've been in places in my life where I canceled on nearly everything. So I, I've been there. Yeah. And this conversation is proof that it's worth it to wait, to have a good day and to have this conversation. It, it's a real gift. Yeah. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.